Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Is This a Thing? We're one voice short today in the intro. That's because Adam is dead. Dead. He died. Right. It was tragic. Autoerotic asphyxiation in the closet. You just went the darkest route with that ad lib. I was queuing you up for <laughs> some exotic location or something at a corn concert. I don't know. Yeah, no, it was at a corn concert. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> in Miami. At the Bitcoin conference, strangely enough. Yeah, corn was there. It was weird. It was just it's amazing <laughs> how many walks of life are into unregulated currency. Where is Adam actually? Have we got confirmation on this? Who knows? Yeah. We've been doing this for seven years, pretty much every Sunday for seven years. Something comes up on a Sunday. Oh, yeah. By the way, even when Adam's here, he's not really here. You know, Nick and I are uh, are not writing solo. We're writing uh, dually and uh, we're talking an interesting artifact in the history of this program. Yeah. And a guy that has always sort of come up tangentially in some of these conversations, a guy by the name of Mike Myers, not Michael Myers, the serial killer from the Halloween franchise. No, the Canadian sketch actor, brief star of Saturday Night Live and even briefer biggest star in the world. Yeah, basically. I mean, never has a 15 minutes been hotter and faster, you know? We we briefly talked about Mike Myers a few years ago when we did a month long extravaganza of the gong show where mike myers who had previously disappeared for years after a horrible run of failures including the love guru i think just one failure to be clear but like abysmal so this and we're talking about the pentaveret now is his first starring role in 15 years since the love guru that is crazy he's had a couple little supporting performances obviously he still did shrek uh and i think only three (sighs) movies inglorious bastards Terminal, I think, with Margot Robbie and uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, correct? Yep. Those are the three I'm seeing that don't have Shrek in the title. But those were supporting performances I, in the case of like Bohemian Rhapsody and Inglorious Bastards. I haven't seen Terminal, but those other two movies he's in under five minutes of. And The Gong Show, I guess, is the best thing he's done since Love Guru, I guess. And it's not even close. If you guys are interested in uh, going down a real rabbit hole, and I really highly recommend it, go back a few years ago and listen to our run of shows on The Gong Show. Yes. Mike Myers came back uh, from this disappearance as the host of The Gong Show, the reboot. Right. um, Which did not last. However, he also did not credit himself as Mike Myers. Like, he assumed an entire persona and even outside of the show pretended he was this human being. Tommy Maitland was... (laughs) This British old BBC broadcaster, essentially, you know, this old variety show guy that was now hosting the reboot of The Gong Show. A weird piece of like Andy Kaufman-esque performance art, I would say. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is it wasn't always the funniest bit, but you at least had to respect the commitment to it. Just to tell the story of how we got here today, I was just scrolling through Netflix the other day. Netflix on a real heater lately, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had just finished several TV shows that I'd been watching and I was looking for some new stuff to watch and just kind of browsing all I got. I literally, my tabs here is Disney Plus, Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, Hulu, Apple TV. <laughs> like I have all of those tabs open right now. <laughs> and I would say, I mean, my opinion is, I guess, a little skewed considering I'm really into movies and stuff. But I would say Netflix is my last resort. When I'm when I'm flipping through the streaming services. Yeah, absolutely. It's like on the third line of my Roku screen now. Like I'll, I will go to all of those services you just listed before I go to Netflix. 
because it's sort of carved out a space as the true crime network, you know, with like weird Marilyn Monroe documentaries. And I guess if you want, you can watch Den of Thieves on there. But for the most part, it's like a lot of horse shit. And there was a time where everything was on Netflix. And then everybody who owned good TV programs realized we can make our own streaming service. And they all pulled out of Netflix slowly. Right. And it's just this shell now. And I think also those companies employed a strategy that Netflix did not have the luxury of using, which was we are going to be selective about what we put on the air. We're going to go through pilots. We're going to reject the shows that don't work. We're not going to give you automatically three seasons just to outspend the other streaming services. And the reason that they can do that is because most of them are backed by serious corporations. That right. have a long and storied history, right? Like HBO Max has AT&T behind them. Paramount has Viacom behind them. Disney has Disney. Netflix doesn't have that. So they had to just spend, 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 spend. Netflix here was like sort of like the MySpace. And now all the professionals are coming in. Sure. But they're managing to hold on here and there. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, it is still the number one streaming service by subscriber I mean, count. We but. say that right now, but then like we'll drop another Queen's Gambit and everybody will lose their minds for three weeks. Well, Stranger Things will be out in two weeks and everybody will freak out about that. You know? <sighs> yeah, I'm thinking that Stranger Things is losing its steam. Those kids are getting too fucking old. Man, they're so old, dude. You're really not like watching little kids anymore. You're watching like adults. The, the kid's got a mustache. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> Kid, you should not be hanging out in an arcade, you know? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you should be smoking pot behind the dumpster right now. Totally. Like, <laughs> With the, the Gorgon or whatever. <laughs> but I'm on Netflix and I stumble across this weird looking program. Well, the poster itself is weird. It's bizarre. And it started autoplaying. And then it shows like this old, like 1980s TV network guy just reporting from some shitty conference it looks like public access tv and i'm watching and i realize holy shit is that mike myers talking yeah and immediately i'm intrigued how wild is it though that mike myers returns to like visual media for the first time in 15 years and it's a complete whimper in terms of like press and conversation around it like Mm -hmm. the fact that you didn't know it was coming i didn't know it was coming it just sort of dropped there i mean if that is not a sign of how netflix is shitting the bed lately i don't know what is and netflix could have played this up as like the return of mike myers if they wanted to of course of course could you imagine 10 years ago how this would have been advertised remember how much press hemlock grove got back in the day for netflix orange is the new black was a phenomenon you know house of cards felt like a movie yeah looking back not even that good of a show really no all pretty shit but it (laughs) felt like they were at one point good at creating a moment at least and creating some hype now it's like buried under moon knight it's buried under better call saul it's buried under barry <laughs> is it just that like these other streaming services have gotten so much better at the game? I think they're just doing better stuff. Yeah, I think like they don't blindly write checks because Mike Myers says he wants to do a TV show, which I guess fair enough. That's something that you might have done 10 years ago, 15 years. I mean, it is something that happened 15 years ago with the Love Guru. But right. You know, I think Netflix, they have a big deal with Shonda Rhimes. They have a big deal with Ryan Murphy. They give Martin Scorsese $150 million to do stuff. These other streaming services are running their platform as a network, either a television network or a movie studio. Pitch us something. If we like it, maybe we'll green light it and we'll give you notes and we'll kind of meddle in the productions of these things. But it's all for the greater good. Whereas Netflix is like, this is an artistic oasis for the biggest and brightest stars to come and waste money. 
And uh, we can have this conversation about Mike Myers, I guess. And, and <laughs> I, should. I'm sure you and other people would say, like, Mike Myers should just stop making things. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do think if he's going to make something, this is not how I want him to make it. Writing Mike Myers a blank check is a horrible idea. Not a good idea. <laughs> the other th- show that I thought of was, just because it's Netflix, Remember the Steve Carell sitcom Space Force? Yeah, yeah. Greg Daniels, I think, is the name of the creator of The Office, and or at least the American creator of The Office, and Steve Carell, and I think John Malkovich was in that show, too? I never watched it, and I feel like it was, like, slept on. So that was a show that when it was announced, it's like, holy shit, The Office guys are reuniting, and Steve Carell is coming back to TV. But this premise is absurd, and apparently it was quite bad, and they renewed it for a second season just because of the, the star power attached to it. But like that, that's a perfect example of like these people work best in a single location, multicam sitcom, low budget, very traditional network TV. The second you add a sci-fi element, the second you add a lot of CGI, the second you add like really good cinematography, you've kind of lost sight of the ball, you know? Right. And that's what I felt like here. It's just like this show looks way too good for what it is, you know, a show solely written by Mike Myers and mostly consisting of dick jokes should not look like this. And actually the fact that it looks this good makes it less funny. It's weird because when I first started watching this, I definitely was like, like you said, I guess I didn't want Mike Myers making more shit if this is what it was going to be because it just was so bizarre and stupid. But by the end, I kind of came around to it. I got, I got to be honest with you. By the time I gave up and I was like, all right, this is stupid, whatever. I'm just here for the ride now. So you only watched four episodes. I did. I'm I'm baffled by this, by the way. I'm Because ba- <laughs> this is one of the worst things I've seen in a very long time. This might be it's- worse than The Love Guru, actually. Like, it's really <laughs> bad. Did you see the orgy episode? Uh, I did not. I didn't. I only watched the first four. That might have been the moment for me where I was like, wow, this guy has some fucking balls. Mike Myers is just straight naked. You see his dick. You see Mike Myers' cock. You see Mike Myers' dick along with like every other man in the room. We talking prosthetics or what? I don't know, but I don't think so. Really? And uh, there's a bit earlier in the Pentaveret here where we cut to the Netflix studio room and that Netflix executive is like, we have to make a correction here to Mike Myers' inappropriate humor or whatever. Sure. You know, yeah, we're going to recut the scene without the profanity. Right, right. That's what it was, which was also a very funny bit. I thought some of the meta stuff was OK in general. I think like the more meta the show went, I that's sort of when I was on when I was on its wavelength. Yeah. Long story. I'll explain that bit actually first. Um, Mike Myers. Well, I can't even say Mike Myers because he plays every character. Yeah, he plays like eight characters <laughs> in this show. <laughs> Don't <laughs> Of, I mean, the whole show, the premise is that there's a secret society of five men who run the world, but they're nice. Yes. <laughs> the intro of the show hits you over the head with that's the premise. That's all you need to know. They get Jeremy Irons to do the opening of the show. And it's like the opening narration. And at first it's like, oh, this is a pretty generic sort of setup for the show we're about to see. And it's Jeremy Irons. And that's kind of funny. <laughs> and then every episode, Jeremy Irons sort of breaks the fourth wall. And starts yelling at the audience, don't hit the skip button, do not hit the skip intro button, there's new stuff in here, you know? And then, I think one, he, he, 
He pretends that he's doing the intro for Stranger Things just to see if the audience was paying attention. Episode six, he literally just goes, fuck it. And that's it. That's the entire intro. He just says, fuck it. But they're they're playing pool. So there's like a big, like angry guy at the bar. There's this woman who is like, you know, profane and they're all swearing. And then the Netflix executive cuts in. And he goes, we're going to recut this scene without all of the swear words. And then the scene without all of the swear words, with all the jump cuts between, it turns into the most sexual sounding. Right. Just like, it's you're so it's big. So much worse. <laughs> Going for the brown. <laughs> it's like that was a pretty funny bit. I actually thought. Yeah. Again, like I thought that stuff was at least fun. It was thinking outside of the box. Yeah. For the most part, though, it was just a lot of jokes that could have worked in PG-13 movies with innuendo, but instead went to the nastiest version because it was given the TVMA rating. It just felt like the show was trying too hard the entire time. You know, where it's like Mike Myers finally got to work with an R rating. And so we're going to throw like really inappropriate stuff in there. But this would have been much funnier if you actually sort of neutered it. The orgy scene, though, felt a lot like an Austin Powers bit. Okay. He's trying to walk into the room where the orgy is, and the guard is like, no clothes allowed in the orgy room. And he's like, oh, my friend's in there. And the guy just rips his clothes off all in one <laughs> big swipe. Just He grabs him by like the cuff of his collar, and his entire outfit comes off in one swipe. <laughs> right, maybe I gotta watch episode five. And yeah, you see Mike Myers' dick, and he's walking into the room, and there's just like dicks everywhere. And then the Netflix executive comes in. Same same kind of deal. This is way too inappropriate. So we're going to use Netflix's new product. We're going to test it here. It's called FixFlix. And <laughs> we're going to blur out all of the inappropriate bits. And then it cuts in and it's almost like an Instagram filter where there's like a couple seconds of buffering as it's trying to locate your face. Right, right. So you constantly like see dicks and then they slowly get blurred. <laughs> and one guy at one point, Mike Myers grabs a mirror to cover his own penis. But then you can see the reflection of other people in the mirror. Right. And one guy walks up and he just like wiggles his hips around and he has the hugest dick ever. So like the, the fix flicks can't keep up with it. And then a serving guy comes around and is serving like hot dogs without a bun, just like hot dogs on a tray. And the Fixflix is trying to like find each hot dog. It's so why did ridiculous. I give up after four? Is what I want to know. It's so silly. How did I get through four episodes and I'm like, this is the worst thing ever? And I missed the giant orgy. It really felt like an Austin Powers bit at that moment. Wow. It felt like what Austin Powers would have been had it been on Netflix. There was one bit in episode four where there's the eyes wide shut figure he's one of the agents of the, of the pentaveret that intimidates people using note cards and he'll just sort of hand them a note card with a phrase written on it similar to eyes wide shut and then the eyes wide, wide shut piano will play underneath mm -hmm. and there was one little moment where he was handing i guess it, it was mike myers as the reporter right those cards and he accidentally handed them out of order so he had yeah. all of the responses already <laughs> written and he that was funny so there's a couple little things like that where it's like, that's clever. Like, I, I definitely want more of that. What I don't need is you randomly inserting a line like, did you know dolphins could queef? Yeah, Which is I like, agree. that is just... I agree. Like, that. that's just nonsense. Like, that's just, like, stupid dick jokes. And I love a good dick joke, but that, to me, is just, like, dumb. Ironically, with that line, though, it almost pays off later. Okay. With that specific line you pointed out, because I agree with what you're saying. But later, there's a moment where the, the Canadian journalist guy is looking back at all of the things that people have told him, all of like the good advice. And it's like 
very heartfelt. He gets like 10 messages from 10 different people. Like, and then all of a sudden the last one is just like, did you know dolphins can queef? Right. <laughs> it was, that was kind of funny, but it's only funny because it like wasn't funny the first time. I sure, guess. Sure. Let's talk Myers for a second. Yeah. Let's let's please. Let's go through the whole career. Shall we? Is it Saturday Night Live? Canadian guy appeared on Saturday Night Live. When he was doing the Wayne's World bit on Saturday Night Live. Him and Dana Carvey did Wayne's World. It was one of the more popular sketches at the time. One of the things I found very strange about the Pentaveret is that our hero is a Canadian reporter and you have a Canadian sort of lampooning the way that Canadians talk. Like that I found to be kind of breaking the matrix. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the idea that a Canadian is just sort of speaking in their own voice, just a little more amplified. And that's a joke. It would be like if I started speaking in an over the top Connecticut accent here and, and everybody would be like, Nico, why are you yelling so much? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like I found that to be. Maybe it's just something that happens when you play like eight different characters. You kind of have to separate all of them. So does Wayne's World. After Wayne's World gets this movie. So I married an axe murderer, which I watched the other night for one very specific reason. Because in that movie, he plays uh, Stuart McKenzie, I believe is the name of his father. Charlie McKenzie is the son. Stuart McKenzie is an older Irish gentleman, a crude guy that is into conspiracies. He's uh, essentially like working on his Shrek voice in that movie. You can you can watch Shrek <laughs> sort of develop in front of your very eyes. And so I married an axe murderer. So there's a line in that movie in like the first 20 minutes where the father is explaining to his son a theory about a secret society that runs the world called the Pentaveret. No. So that is what this show is based on. It is based on that one throwaway line. And so I married an axe murderer. Did he write that movie? Uh, no. No. <laughs> what a lunatic. Did not write that movie. <laughs> that is w weird and ridiculous. Right. Uh, but that also kind of implies that this idea has been bouncing around in his head since 1993. Right. Yeah. So I married an axe murderer. I, I say i don't know fun early 90s movie i guess it's it's okay you look at the poster it's a very bizarre poster the one where he's in front of the golden gate bridge okay yeah the bridge is like wibbly wobbly the background looks like a fucking surrealist painting yeah but it's kind of normal just like golden hour skyline shit and mike myers is there just posing like mike myers and then there's a <laughs> woman behind him that is just sort of blankly staring but it's not really that threatening there's nothing indicating that this woman might be a murderer <laughs> it's just like a pretty normal rom-com like if that was the poster to for uh when harry met sally that would make sense i found a vintage one sheet poster from 93 where he's standing there in like his tuxedo and her like leg her in her wedding dress with like her girder and stuff is framing over him in the foreground and she has like a butcher's knife in her girder nice although it's not an axe so it's really weird to call her an axe murderer when she has a butcher's knife yeah, it's it's one of those <laughs> it's one of those posters that you can tell like it didn't test well with audiences. Even like the title is written in like very simple font. It looks like we made this poster in high school. Yeah, it's baby's first Photoshop, this poster. <laughs> it's very weird. It's really bad. Uh so yeah, anyway, that so that's what he does in ninety three, and this is where the ascent begins for Mike Myers. Wayne's World Two also in ninety three. Then after he leaves Saturday Night Live, he does the first Austin Powers movie in 1997. Right. And this was something that Adam and I actually just discussed on the Movie Hall of Fame a couple weeks ago. Let's walk through the box office numbers for these three movies. Austin Powers International Man of Mystery cost $16.5 million to make. Grossed 
67 million worldwide. Pretty good. Modest hit, right? Made their money back and then some. That's yes. that's quite successful. A couple years later, Austin Powers The Spy Who Shagged Me comes out. Mm-hmm. 1999. The original Austin Powers has been playing on cable now every day for 2 years. Nonstop on every channel. Yeah. The second movie cost $33 million to make. How much do you think it grossed? Again, $67 million. I bet you it made $100 million. $312 million. Holy shit. These movies were gigantic. Yeah. Then the third movie comes out, a movie that most people do not like, Austin Powers and Goldmember. I want to tell you, this movie I know for a fact did so well because the first time I went to go see this movie, we got into a car accident on the way to the theater and we still went and saw the movie again. <laughs> Like, we settled the car accident, and then we went home, and then we went to go see the movie another day. Even bigger budget this time, $63 million. Still makes $296 million worldwide. Jesus Christ. These were insanely big movies. Yeah. You look at those numbers, and it's like, oh, now I get what the love guru was all about. Also, comedies don't make money like that. No! And this is... I think the the one of the main conundrums of of big screen comedies where you know television has a distinct advantage you have to introduce your audience to these characters and train them to watch the movie that is the luxury of sitcoms you watch most great sitcoms look at the first two seasons of Seinfeld look at you know early episodes of MASH of any of the great sitcoms ever they fucking suck and they suck because the writers are learning how to write them and the audience is learning how to watch them And part of what makes comedy work is an attachment to characters and an understanding that not only is the joke funny, but it's funny because it's this person saying it. And what Austin Powers was able to do in a very short time is train the audience how to watch those movies. In fairness, too, there's a shortcut with Austin Powers. We already know James Bond. Right. Yes, 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 yes. Right. Right. So it's very easy to understand, like, who this guy is and what he's all about. Totally. He's a goofy version of James Bond. Got it. Like, I'm watching the show. And this, uh, this like assistant, the office manager of the Pentaveret, walks in, and she's like this this older woman from Jersey, and her whole thing is like, I'm from Jersey, and I'm kind of older, but I'm also sexy. That's like the whole bit. And she literally says, "My name is so and so. I grew up in Jersey." There is such over the top character work done in the Pentaveret because there's so many characters, and it doesn't have the confidence to just let you get who these people are through subtext. Right? It's this exposition that's just said out loud whereas you watch austin powers you watch that original movie austin powers going to the airport and they go through his bag and they find like the penis enlarger and all like these like stupid devices and at first it's like oh these are kind of silly dick jokes but it also tells you exactly who this person is without him having to tell you who he is right right you know and so not to say like austin powers is like bergman in its character work but it's it's just so much more delicate than this it, there's too many characters yeah that too i mean that that's is. the biggest issue i think there's just there's way too many fucking characters and mike myers plays all of them i mean we get keegan michael key and we get ken jong but that's outside of those two there really aren't many other names yeah for a while there i was worried that keegan michael key was going to be trapped in a in a, in a mike myers show <laughs> for <laughs> six episodes <laughs> I was actually kind of like when he died, I was like, good for you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> good for you. He got out of here. Get that. Get this man out of here. So anyway, three Austin Powers movies, the biggest things ever, uh, shows mm-hmm. up in a couple other pictures. Mystery Alaska. I feel like, though, this is actually the moment 
of his downturn. It's like he, I think he made one move that seemed like a good move at the time, and many might even still argue it was a good move, but I think it was actually the, the moment of his downfall. You're saying Shrek. I think it was Shrek. Okay, make the argument. I think that the move towards kids' movies in general, the cat in the hat and the Shrek movies. Oh, the cat in the hat. <laughs> never, He never recovered after that. Yeah, similar to what we were saying with Netflix. I feel like Shrek was so ahead of the game, it actually ended up falling behind. Because they were the first ones at the table for the crude children's movie. Mm-hmm. The sort of like clever, we're going to poke fun at the genre, we're going to make fun of fairy tales... You know, we're going to include a lot of farting and burping, an occasional ass or damn thrown in. And then every kid's movie became that afterwards. Like even Disney movies now, you watch a modern Disney film and there's a there's an adult tinge to it. You know, it's interesting, though, because if you really look at it, nobody recovered from Shrek. And as much as people say the Shrek movies are a huge success, nobody came back from it. Eddie Murphy disappeared disappeared mike myers disappeared cameron diaz might as well have disappeared retired from acting smash mouth they i mean they are a mockery today (laughs) they've become memed to hell yeah feels very dated now so there's something about shrek while being an immense success i mean they made like four shrek movies all of them were also box office smash hits of course and and yet everybody's career died I, i think you're right though with the smash mouth thing It's probably the most successful animated franchise that uses pop music as heavily as they do. You you watch a like a Bug's Life, for example, or you watch Monsters Inc., or you watch Toy Story, and I I guess you know there's you got a friend in me. But those movies haven't aged a day because they still look really good, and also there's not like a lot of cultural touchstones in there that would date it instantly but now you have movies like trolls 2 world tour which is nothing oh, but pop songs yes, right right but those things are not built to last more than three years they're not built to last more than a day right I mean, exactly but. like if you think movies age quickly i mean you combine that with the fickle music industry right so he does shrek which i think financially for mike myers it's a pretty good decision Sure. Every Shrek video game, every Shrek animated special. How many action figures did he voice? Totally. totally. (laughs) Cat in the Hat in 2003 is the first sign that things are going awry. Do you remember the Cat in the Hat? Yeah. Coming out? Did you see it in the theater? Um, I don't know if I saw it in theaters. I might have. I was eight years old. I feel like you loved it. Fucking loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Loved it, dude unironically loved it weren't those kids like aren't they like still acting dakota fanning right yeah dakota and it was spencer breslin i think is long gone he, he's the kid that is shot violently in the happening oh my god <laughs> alec baldwin is like the schlubby neighbor <laughs> kelly preston as the mom awesome movie actually no horrible movie but my god did i love it i just loved the world i loved like we're stepping into a dr seuss book I was really into the Grinch at the time, too. You know, like it was it was also like colorful. You know, I just liked the color. I just liked how the world looked. I liked how like surrealist it was. Like it felt different than stuff I was used to. You know, it was like a book was coming alive. I think you liked that cat had big hammer get hit on head. Ha ha. Well, that too. Probably. (laughs) You were eight. (laughs) Dude, I had the DVD. I bought the DVD. Just remember when the cat in the hat went (laughs) hairball. Every commercial. Every commercial. All right. He does Shrek the Third in 2007. Not a good movie, if I remember right. Generally speaking, after Shrek 2, people were not quite as enamored, but 
They still made money. Shrek 2 slaps. And then 2008, he gets his blank check and he does The Love Guru, which we talked about on this podcast many years ago. Has a single performance ruined an actor's career more than this? It's tough. It really is akin to like the last season of Game of Thrones and how culturally it just died practically overnight. But somehow this is worse. Fair point. It happens to TV shows frequently. Happens to directors all the time. Actors probably usually get a pass because, well, I'm just the actor. I didn't write it. I didn't direct it. But in this case, Mike Myers, he did write it. It was his. I mean, there was nobody else to fall back on. That's the thing about a director, right? A director, it's like they get none of the credit when the movie succeeds and they get all of the blame when it fails. It's like such a thankless job in that way. So, you know, that's why you have Michael Cimino in Heaven's Gate. It's why you have M. Night Shyamalan. I'll give you a list. Ready? Mm -hmm. You tell me if any of these were more catastrophic. Elizabeth Berkeley, Showgirls. Maybe. That's at least a fair comparison. Kevin Costner, Waterworld. No, Kevin Costner's fine. Right, exactly. He's fine. Exactly. <laughs> what I think was seen at the time as like a major catastrophe, but right, he's still Kevin Costner. And I felt sort of the same way about Travolta with Battlefield Earth, which was another one I wrote down. He's still Travolta. You can still sell Travolta. Still worked afterwards. I mean, we're talking about Mike Myers did not work. Disappeared. Yeah. Topher Grace, Spider-Man 3. Pretty bad. But he wasn't the star. That's what saved him there. Hasn't worked much, though. Same with Tobey Maguire to a degree. Spider-Man 3 hurt a lot of people's careers, too. I was thinking Tobey and Hayden Christensen was another name that I was thinking about. I mean, his career kind of died before it even began. That's what I mean. People hated him. I feel similarly about Tobey. Can Spider-Man 3 really kill you if Spider-Man 1 was the thing that put you on the map? Kirsten Dunst was kind of like gone for a while. She's kind of recently. She's been back, back, though. She's hardcore back. Yeah. Lindsay Lohan. I know who killed me. You know what? Lindsay Lohan's career wasn't killed by her performances, though. It was killed by, like, her drug use and I agree. the tabloids. And I agree. Tom Green, Freddie got fingered. <laughs> Again, none of, I mean, now we're in the realm of people who never were big to begin with, though. Not in the same way as Mike Myers. Not on top of the world. This is the answer that, that I, I am most comfortable with. I think it's the closest approximation. Eddie Murphy on Norbit. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, actually, both both Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers are kind of weird because it feels like they willingly kind of just chose to disappear. Yeah, right. No one was surprised by Norbit. He had already made seven other Norbits before that movie. Obviously, Norbit was the the most egregious, but, you know, had already made The Nutty Professor, had already, which I, I don't know, people like The Nutty Professor, I guess, but. And both of them have that weird, like, you know, playing every character in every movie. What is up with that? Why is that a thing that people do? Well, it's it's the <laughs> it's the great Stanley Kubrick story. I think I've told this before where he talks about getting Peter Sellers for Dr. Strangelove and they had to pay him like a ridiculous price or whatever. So they ask him about it afterwards and they go, you know, was he worth the, the cost? And he goes, yeah, I got three actors for the price of five. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they're all chasing Peter Sellers to a certain extent. Peter Sellers was the first guy in one of the great comedies of all time to play multiple roles and... I think that became like a very lofty goal for comedic actors. It works on Austin Powers because he really only plays three roles. Here's the thing about Austin Powers that I wanted to say. Dr. Evil and Austin are not in the room together often. They're usually right. apart and they sort of exist in their own movie for a lot of it. 
especially that first movie. Mm-hmm. You know, Doctor Evil is just in that one room, and Austin Powers is shagging girls across London, and they overlap at the end, kind of. But I think it was part of the constraints of the time, just technologically, like they couldn't afford to do that much cutting around. You watch Pentavera; it's very distracting just watching the editing style of that show. Mm-hmm. One character has to finish their line before the next one can speak, and the way that they're all seated, it's all you know very specifically shot and it's distracting in that way it was very messy so the five member council the pentaverate four of them were played by mike myers and the fifth was like they brought in different actors throughout the season and i was almost afraid it was going to be like a every week we bring in a different celebrity to like join the council is dr ken the last guy brought on yeah and and spoiler for the end of the show i don't see there being a second season because the pentaverate is like destroyed thank god They create a uh, separate council called the Septaverate, counseled by seven people, and they're, uh, you know, women and men, and they're all different races, and it's meant to be about diversity. Well, there was a throwaway joke about Billie Eilish being a future member of the Septaverate. I was wondering what that was about. At the beginning of the show, they'll, they'll do like a title card of a, of a quote from a famous luminary. Well, they always do two quotes. Right. Which is funny. They do one that's like an actual famous quote from an actual historical figure. And then the other one is like, I'm the bad guy, dot, 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 duh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Eilish. It's like, all right. Was it that episode or the next episode where they pay that off? At the end of that episode, right. The bad guys reveal themselves. The Nigel (laughs) Farage-esque British... Right. I I mean, isn't that right? That's kind of what he is, right? He's he's this like uh, reform (laughs) party billionaire British corporate dude, right? And and Ken Jeong, I I guess they're the ones killing the other Pentaverate members. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they say we're the bad guys. Duh. Really bad show. I want to be very clear. This is not a good show. Can we talk about your girl, Maria Menounos, who is basically like a recurring cast member on the show? That was probably my favorite bit. Every now and then you're able to touch on a a cultural touchstone that everyone understands, but nobody's talked about with each other. Even if you don't think you know who Maria Menounos is, you know who Maria Menounos is. Yes, if you've never seen her, you are familiar at least with the profession of blank-faced, attractive woman reporting pseudo-news on television. Right. So, like, I go to Cinemark Theaters sometimes to watch movies, and before the movie, they'll have, like, a five-minute, hi, I'm Maria Menounos, here's the next trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Right. And then it cuts to the trailer. Like, that's her. She's in airplanes, I think, too. Like, I've I've been on a flight with Maria Menounos before. Sometimes if you go to the gas station where when you start pumping and the, the person pops up on the TV and they're telling you, like... You know, that's 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 Maria Menounos. And the Pentaverit got her to be on Pentaverit TV and like tell you the news of the Pentaverit of what's going on. The fact that she agreed to do this, too, tells me that she is one of those people. And this is something that a lot of really, really big celebrities have a problem with. She's one of these people who perfectly understands her role in the greater machine. She will stay in her lane in a good way. She has carved out a niche for herself in that regard. Yes. Emerson alumni, Maria Menounos, by the way. Really? I remember orientation weekend at Emerson. It was like, here are some of the famous people that graduated from Emerson before you. And it was like Jay Leno. Henry Winkler was one of the names thrown around. Quite a bit. <laughs> Who else? And well, Maria Menounos was one of the three or four. And it's like, really? Like, that's the that's what this we're, what we're for aspiring here? for. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm paying 50 grand a year for. <laughs> 
so I can oh. be on extra, extra, you know? <laughs> but you know what, though? She's invited to all the parties. She knows all the people. I guess. I guess. Right? I mean. She's also on six episodes of the Pentaveret. Yes. And I know, like, she didn't really have to do that much. I mean, she showed up maybe for, what, a day of filming? Two a days day. of filming? Yeah. A day. <laughs> they, they they filmed the whole show and they had her do the, at the end. You know what I mean? Right, like, just stood in front of the green screen. And so she, re, you know, reads all these very absurd premises. Like, Keegan-Michael Key's character, his death is faked so he can join the Pentaveret. Right. And the, the reason stated in the media is that he tried to kiss his own anus. The kiss the star challenge? Was that yeah, kiss was? the star challenge. Yeah, yeah. Kiss, right. So Maria Menounos <laughs> is just like, you know, saying things like, kids are calling it a locally sourced rim job, you know? <laughs> Episode five, she's like, the orgy at the Meadows begins today. Right. Like, <laughs> and it's just so funny. <laughs> just playing it totally straight. Uh, and then you have Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe, yeah. Doing like the training videos for the Pentaveret, essentially. My God, Rob Lowe looks good. It's the Atkins diet, man. Goodness gracious, Rob Lowe. How old is Rob Lowe? He's got to be like 60 almost. I would, I would guess just under 60. He was born in up, 1964. Though. He's 58. Jesus. You know what I love about Rob Lowe? Whoever dyes his hair is doing an excellent job. Yeah, they get it. it, it like, that's the freaking key, you know? You know, like, remember when uh, when you were in high school and you used to, like, shoot the, the crumpled up paper into the bin and you would, like, yell Kobe when you were shooting the, 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 the paper? <laughs> okay, where are you going with this? And the teacher was like, listen, you can shoot it all you want. And if you make it, you're fine. But if you miss, you get a detention. Like, that's how I feel about Rob Lowe's hair. It's like, if you're going to dye your hair, go for it. But you better not miss. Yeah, you better hit. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, you better have the best hair guy on the planet. You better not have Wayne Newton's hair guy. <laughs> you better not have Al Michaels hair guy. You better have fucking Rob Lowe's hair guy. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna put some artificial black in there, go for it. But it better be the exact right tone. Whoever is the artistic director behind Rob Lowe's look is just <laughs> doing immaculate work. He's got a team, I bet. Oh my god. Gotta be. He's got. He has to have servants. <laughs> like coming to America, they just wake up and they fillet him every morning. It's just. <laughs> Are you ready for the royal blowjob? You know, <laughs> Rob Lowe looks great, man. Unbelievable. He does. Unbelievable. He does. Puts other men to shame. Again, it's just very bizarre. Rob Lowe and Jeremy Irons are just in every episode of the show. But like for each of them, like honestly, it it was less than three hours worth of work. What what are some of the other Mike Myers characters we haven't talked about yet? We have um, Lord Lordington, just an old British man. The the laziest character, I would say. Just old British man. We have uh, one who's a Russian oligarch, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, I'm trying to remember even who the other one is. Oh, uh, it's Shep Gordon. That was one character in the show based on a real guy. Oh, right. Shep Gordon is, is I, I think, as they said in the show, the manager of Alice, for Alice Cooper or whatever. One of the things that Mike Myers was working on in between Love Guru and this was a Shep Gordon documentary. He actually directed a Shep Gordon documentary. Really? Yeah, I guess he spent a lot of time with this guy. It is very familiar with his mannerisms. But yeah, again, if we're talking about character work, if we're on the subject of character work, that was the most like fully realized person in the show. He also probably got the least screen time, though, of all of them. Even if you didn't get the joke, like at least you got that someone got it. 
Like sometimes like I'll I'll enjoy a comedy if I know someone else finds it funny. Does that make sense? Like it's not made for me, but I get it. Right. Like like sometimes you can just tell like this joke is well written, even if I don't understand the punchline. There are some comedians like that. Like Don Rickles used to all the time make references that he didn't understand. He would call someone a word from the 40s and you had never heard the word before or you didn't understand the point of reference or you didn't get what old NBC sitcom he was talking about. But like just the way that it was said and the confidence in which he said it, like you understood that I'm supposed to be laughing here. And oftentimes you would (laughs) laugh. That's sort of how I felt about this, where I'm like, okay, like that is a specific enough impression. I could tell right away this is a person that actually existed. Do I know why he's funny? Not really. But okay, I'll allow it. Yeah. In addition to this, he plays the Canadian journalist we were talking about. Uh Um, and really the heart and soul of the show to a degree. He also plays a Canadian conspiracy theorist that the journalist meets at a conspiracy convention in Canada. I will admit his, he, his costuming did actually look smelly. (laughs) Yeah. Like they describe how bad he smells, but like the guy actually looked like he smelled bad. He also played an Alex Jones character, explicit Alex Jones spoof. And he voiced Shrek again. And Shrek comes back. They're at a uh, ogre festival in like some weird European country. But basically like, you know, this guy dressed as Shrek comes up and saves the day and he's voiced again by Mike Myers. And I saw people on TikTok were kind of going crazy about it. Also, did you notice that they told more of the joke about any shit on a turtle? Do you remember the Austin Powers bit where him and his dad are talking in like a British that you almost can't understand. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Like, any, any shit on, on a turtle. turtle. Right, right. And in this movie or in this show, they actually like tell a little bit more. They cut into the scene like a sentence earlier. So you hear a little bit more of the joke. You still don't get it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I noticed that. So I, that's why I messaged you guys. I was like, oh, my God. What, what did you think of the whole conspiracy aspect of this? Because I I found that the show to kind of be mixed in its messaging. So I actually did want to bring this up because the end of the show kind of becomes very clear. They they hint early at the show at this thing called like the Demetrius Protocols or something like that, where basically if the Pentaveret falls into the wrong hands, they all take their cyanide pills and abolish the Pentaveret. Right. And at the end of the show, even though they stop the bad guys, they still go through with abolishing the Pentaveret because they realize the world has changed and we can't control the world the way we used to. And... You remember their giant supercomputer called Mentor? Uh, yes, the, the mass hole uh, supercomputer, yeah. So they say they have the supercomputer and uh, it needed a soul in order to work properly. And a Boston mass hole fell into the pit and accidentally became their soul. Mm. At, the, at the end of the show, they want a new soul to like fix Mentor. And the Canadian journalist is the one they want. They talk about how a, su- a supercomputer with all the power in the world can only work for the people if it has a kind soul. So that's the premise, I guess, with the Canadian journalist is that these types of journalists are kind people and they're the real heroes and they're going to save the day. Yeah. And, and and it's also it's an attack on conspiracy theories and on, on conspiracy theorists. This show at the end, there's a clip of young Mike Myers with an actual Canadian broadcaster ledger legend. I don't know the guy's name, but he's an older really? man at the time. There's a short little clip of Mike Myers with him and the guy essentially lets Mike Myers take the mic and pretend to be like a Canadian broadcasting legend and you hear the voice. Wow. So I think that when you're talking about the Canadian accent, I think he was actually imitating a real guy. Oh, interesting. And they show this clip and he reads off like he does like a sign off as this Canadian broadcaster guy. And then he hugs the guy in real life. Young Mike Myers hugging the guy. And then the show ends with like dedicated to the journalists everywhere. 
So I think the premise of the show is supposed to be like fighting disinformation, fighting conspiracy theorists, being kind, you know, that kind of thing. Interesting. You see, stories like that make me want to like these movies. It's one of the reasons why I love Austin Powers so much is because that character was based on the culture that Mike Myers grew up consuming because his father was British. Right. He would watch old Peter Sellers movies. He would watch the old James Bond movies. You know, even the music of the time, the big band music of the time was constantly playing in his house. Right. And you can tell that that was a character that, that sort of came from his soul. It was a way of like, you know, dealing with his father's death in the 90s. Which is why, to me, actually, at the end of the show, I kind of came around a little bit. What happens is it kind of suffers from this thing where it's like, at the end, it finally explains what it's been trying to do the whole time. Yeah, see, I I hate that it makes you do that, though. You know what I mean? Like, I hate that it repulses you for six episodes, right? If it started with that and it told me, like, this is what I'm about, I could have gotten on board a lot easier, I think. Maybe it's not the best show ever. Maybe it's full of really crude, bad humor. And But you know what, though? There is actually something here. I mean, it is so specific, you know, like even you look at the poster of it Mm -hmm. and it's very like dramatically lit that shot. It's just like a picture of Ken Scarborough blankly staring into the camera reporting on something. We don't know what that something is. And as we said before, the Pentaveret is one of the worst titles of anything I've ever heard. Like it is a horrible title that explains nothing about the show. You don't even know how to pronounce it. So like it's hard to recommend. It's like, did you see the show, the Pentaveret? You know, like Pentaverte, <laughs> Pentaver- exactly. Yeah, no, it's 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 very bizarre. And I mean, for somebody to like come back out of the woodworks after 15 years and this is what they drop quietly on Netflix. But that's the thing. It's so specific. He clearly knew what he wanted to make. Right. That was the thing about it. Like he did have a lot of confidence in what he was doing. It's just that he peppers this thing with such shitty humor, like really bad jokes that don't work. But there are some really good jokes in there, too. Yeah, there's some diamonds in the rough. Is this show better as a two-hour movie? Because this, to me, felt like one three-hour movie cut into six episodes. I think that if this is a three-hour movie, first off, a lot of the meta humor, a lot of the best diamonds in the rough, as we said, are lost because... That's that's true. Part of the jokes are the fact that it's a TV show. You know, with the, the beginning intro being different every time, don't press skip intro, the Netflix jokes of the executive coming in, I, I think a lot of the best bits are lost. I also think it feels even more Russian, even more shitty because it becomes like another love guru bomb. Whereas at least this, it's like, ah, it's six 30 minute episodes. It's not anything too bad to commit to. People, people will digest this easier than they would digest another Mike Myers movie. It's this weird psychological principle now. It is. Yeah. It's easier to watch three hours of Mike Myers than it is to watch two hours of Mike Myers. Isn't that crazy? Just because of how they present it. Right. Especially if the episodes are a half hour long. Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding? That's nothing. That's a YouTube I'll video. I'll binge six hours of 30 minute episodes, but you want me to watch one 90 minute movie? Right. Get out of here. Exactly. <laughs> what, it's, it's this weird dopamine hit that they give you at the end of every episode. It really is. And I think the last thing, which I just want to mention this because it was an idea that we both agreed on, but we haven't, it didn't come up in conversation yet. Is this idea that Mike Myers really hasn't changed in the past 30 years. Right. It's just the world has changed around him and he hasn't kept up. It's still the same humor, really. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe what he gets away with, the raunchiness, maybe that's the only difference. But yeah, it's all pretty adolescent. It's all pretty uh, silly. And Mm -hmm. I do think the TV MA rating, though, gave him a little too much freedom. I think sometimes like comedians work well with restraint. Like 
you know, the great Seinfeld episode, the contest does not use the term masturbation once. And that gives them all of this room to, to play in this interesting sandbox and come up with new terms for it and use innuendo and use, you know, certain nods and winks. And like that is just an inherently more interesting way of presenting the exact same idea. And here it just felt like, you know, I, I remember when I when I started the show, I saw on the top because the Netflix will give you the rating and some of the content advisories. And it just says rated TVMA for substances, language, violence, nudity and suicide. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. This is not season four of Game of Thrones. What are we doing here? And it's not just the TV rating. It's it's really seems like he had no constraints at all all not even a producer saying hey let's not do that not even a a, another writer peeking over the shoulder that's what netflix does just no constraints at all and that's really the problem it's not just the fact that it's tvma that's just one symptom of a larger issue all right yeah the pentaver uh let's play a game So we definitely did Mike Myers before. I imagine so. Then I guess I don't know Rob Lowe. Ooh, Ooh Rob Lowe's not bad. <laughs> let's, let's do Rob. Lowe. Rob Lowe's. I bet you he's worth a lot. I mean, enough to literally buy the Fountain of Youth. He installed the Fountain of Youth in his spare bedroom in one of his ten spare bedrooms. Atkins has to be paying that guy. Totally, totally. Drew Carey has a net worth of $1.7 billion. <laughs> Rob Lowe. <laughs> when did this new bit begin? I don't know, but it's here now and you're dealing with it. <laughs> Drew Carey worth $16 trillion. <laughs> Drew Carey just bought Twitter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, Rob Lowe, clean 120 mil. Good number. Good guess. I like that guess. I think I'll go lower though, just for strategic purposes, but I think that's a good number. He probably owns a vineyard. I'll say 75 million. If I was Rob Lowe, I'd own a vineyard. The actual net worth of American actor Rob Lowe. (laughs) Has he like acted recently? Like seriously acted? Not really. He like, doesn't need to. Acted, That's acted. the thing. <laughs> yeah. He's just handsome and he's the face of everything. He's so handsome. $100 million. <laughs> that means, Nick, you just won this Ooh. week's edition of... Close, though. <laughs> How many Drew Carey? Rob. Robbie. <laughs> Get me in touch with your hair guy. Might need it soon. Your hair's not going gray. That's true. I have great hair. God, I have good hair. I'm jealous of that. I got gray hairs like crazy already. I know. Sucks to be you. Uh, (laughs) Why is this a thing? (laughs) Uh, We'll be back next week. Hopefully Adam will be here. Actually, no, Adam might not be here. Why not? What's he doing now? I think he's... Going, he, no, he's seeing you. He's coming to you. Oh, that's right. He's going to be in this area. He's going to be in your neck of the woods. Well, I don't know if he's coming to see me. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm even going to see him. 
No, probably not. But he's he's driving through Cincinnati, so he'll be closer to you than he will to me. <laughs> uh, so maybe he'll be here. Who knows? Might be a nice break if we get another week off from him. Kind of like this whole uh, this whole thing. Kind of like the dynamic of this right now. I'm not going to lie. Anything else? No. See you next time. See you next time. Until then, you've all been so very, very naughty. <laughs> no, thanks.